we're in a series of messages called My Dear Son. Uh, we've been taking a deep dive uh, into the book of 2 Timothy and looking at this letter, uh, this personal letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. As, as Paul really is coming to the end of his life, he's coming to the end of his ministry, and uh, he has some personal things that he wants to say as he's, he's sort of passing on. Uh, his his mantle, if you will, his legacy uh, to his spiritual son Timothy, and there's aspects of the letter that are that are very personal, and then there's aspects of the letter that are very practical because Timothy is leading the church at Ephesus, and uh, Paul's just giving some some very clear instructions about about leadership and how to lead in the church, but then even practically how to follow him, and then how to make disciples, how to be a disciple who makes disciples and, and what that looks like. This, this letter in particular has a lot to teach us, especially in our world, because in many ways the world that Paul and Timothy were living in mirrors the world that we're living in. It, it mirrors a world in which the things that you believe, the faith that you have, have struggled for is tested and uh, Paul, certainly someone who has lived his life serving the Lord, coming to the end of his life, most likely um, is about to be executed for his faith. He realizes that this is happening. Timothy uh, is faithfully trying to serve the Lord, and he's dealing with a church situation that is, uh, is very, very complicated. Uh, the people in the church are, are difficult to lead some of them, and uh, some of the very ones that he's trying to lead are the ones who are responsible for uh, Paul being put in prison and ultimately uh, to this place where he's about to be executed. So it's complicated, and it's, it's difficult, and his faith is being tried, and it's out of this letter that we just get beautiful information for us as believers hundreds and hundreds of years later of how we live and execute our faith in a complicated world. You see, faith by its very nature was designed not to be fragile. Faith by its very nature was designed not to be fragile, which is, is interesting because in 2022, uh, coming out of a COVID world, coming into a world that is complicated socially, politically. It's interesting to me as I encounter people of faith whose faith is so fragile, seems to so easily be, so easily be shattered or shaken. And yet the nature of faith in and of itself is this idea that I believe something so strongly from the inside out that whatever happens on the outside can't shake what I know to be true on the inside. That is, that is in essence, what faith is. It is, it is the internal evidence of, of something in spite of external circumstances and experiences. And I think if we were all to be honest with ourselves about our world and our lives, how many of us can say that our faith in God, the things that we believe to be true in Scripture, haven't, haven't been shaken or haven't caused questions inside of us that have caused us to, at times, deal with unbelief. And yet Paul is writing to Timothy in this place where if there was anyone who was ever going to struggle with unbelief, it would have been Paul when he's struggled so hard to follow Jesus and be faithful to Jesus. He's given up. 
He's given up his career. He's given up his life. He's given up his prestige. He's given up all of the opportunities that could have been his. And he's followed after this man, Jesus, and he's preached his gospel and ultimately has brought him to a ministry that most people would have at that point in time, at least with their limited perspective, would have called a failure. Most of his or many of his ministry partners had left him, had abandoned him. Uh, he was seen as a pariah within the church. And here he is all alone, or at least in his extreme language, seems to indicate, oh, I'm so alone. And then at the end of the letter, he, of course, tells Timothy, oh, by the way, so-and-so says, says hi. It's not as if, uh, it's like Paul was like every other preacher I know, just prone to a little bit of exaggeration. It's okay to laugh, guys. Uh, in the beginning of his letter, oh, I'm all so alone, everyone's abandoned me. In the last, last part of the letter, oh, by the way, so-and-so says hi. Uh, but anyways, he was in this place where his faith was tested, and yet in spite of his faith being tested, in spite of literally he is about to be executed for what he is believing and what he is preaching, in spite of all of that, he says, you know what, stand strong. I'm going to stand strong. 2 Timothy 1, 2, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. So in spite of his circumstance, in spite of what he knows, in spite of his situation, in spite of literally the stress and pressure that's on his life, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, peace, mercy. We talked about it a lot in this series. People in life either get bitter or they get better. And the more pressure you put them under, they either get bitter or they get better. I've watched it a million times. I've experienced it a million times myself. myself. The more stress I'm under, I either get bitter or I get better. The more stress somebody's under in their marriage, in their life, in their career, whatever, they either get bitter, either the effect of sin comes out of them, the ugliness of sin comes out of them, or the character and the nature of Christ comes out of them. Paul says, in spite of it all, grace, mercy, and peace. I don't know about you, but when I read 2 Timothy and I really understand where Paul is writing from and I really understand the situation that Timothy is in, my prayer is, Lord, help me to become the kind of, uh, the kind of person who follows you in such a way that even, even when my life is under threat, even when everything is falling apart, even when I'm dealing with absolute disappointment, that I'm able to turn to my dear son, that I'm able to turn to people around me and say grace and mercy and peace. Still be in that place. As we have learned together in this series, we, we live in a VUCA world. In a, a VUCA world, we as followers of Christ can live with grace, mercy, and peace. That's what we've tried uh, to learn during this series is in our world, that is VUCA, we can live with grace and mercy and peace. Whether you're, whether you're like Paul and you're at the end of the journey and you're looking back on your life and things haven't gone the way you wanted them to go with your kids or you're looking back on your life and your career hasn't amounted to what you wanted it to amount to or your investments haven't come through the way you thought they would come through or, or whether you're like Timothy and you're in the middle of the journey and you're, you're trying so hard and you're dealing with opposition and that, that silversmith is still coming after you just like he went after Paul and you feel like you're under threat no matter where you're at in this story. As followers of Jesus, we can live our lives with grace, mercy, and peace. Whether our world is volatile, 
uncertain, complex, or ambiguous, we can still have grace, mercy, and peace. Whether the world is turned upside down with a pandemic or not, I still can live with a faith that has grace, mercy, and peace. Whether my business partner rips me off or not, I can still live and talk and dwell and pass on a faith to my children of grace, mercy, and peace. Oh, by the way, even when my children don't behave the way I think they should behave and don't go down the path that I want them to go and don't choose what I want them to choose, I can still have a faith that is full of grace, mercy, and peace. That's what 2 Timothy is all about. Living and dying with clarity should be our reality as we walk with simple faith that keeps our eyes fixed on the long-term outcomes of following Jesus, not tossed and thrown about through the short-term momentary outputs of the circumstances that I'm in at this moment. Second Timothy is about steadiness. It is about being sure. It is about not being driven by my emotions and my feelings. It's about confidence to follow Jesus even when there are questions that are unanswerable. Even when people argue with me about things that I don't even understand myself, I can be confident and I can be sure because I know in whom I believe. We've learned together that shame, humiliation, and insecurity are the work of the enemy and a sign that our faith is not seated in transgenerational truth. Let me say that again. Shame, humiliation, and insecurity are the work of the enemy and a sign that our faith is not seated in transgenerational strength. Paul is writing to his dear son, Timothy, and he's trying to pass on a faith to him that is real, that is active, that works, even when everything is falling apart. And there is a transgenerational strength to that faith that says to Timothy, Timothy, even when we're thrown in jail, we don't have to be ashamed. Even when the world looks at our ministry and says we're failures, we don't have to be humiliated. Timothy, even when we're under risk, we don't have to walk with insecurity. Let me, let, me, let me turn this statement on its head a little bit. Another way for us to look at it. The question those of us, many of us who have been followers of Jesus for very long, have to ask ourselves, am I, turn this on its head, am I passing on insecurity, humiliation, and shame to the next generation coming after me. Boil it down even further. When I look at my son, do I see him dealing with insecurity? And the question is, as a spiritual father or as natural father, does my faith step into that insecurity and fill that void? As a disciple maker, some of you have been Christians a long time. They dunked you in water a long, long time ago. Some of you have been in church all your life. Ask yourself the question, the disciples that you have, because you can't be, you're not a Christian if you don't have disciples. You're, you're something else. You're not a Christian, because the Bible makes it really clear that Christians make disciples. So the disciples that you have in your life, are they still being riddled with shame 
as the enemy exposes sin in their life? Or has your faith been strong enough to sweep into their existence and cover their shame because we know mercy, grace, and peace? Are you with me? See, what Paul is saying to Timothy is, Timothy, I've lived through it. I see you're living through it. And as you're living through it, the faith that we have, the experience with God that we have is enough, my son, that you shouldn't be struggling with insecurity. I'm not going to model it for you, and my faith is going to come along as transgenerational faith, and it's going to lift you out of it. My faith is going to be strong enough, it's going to come and cover you so there's no humiliation, so that when people look at you and say, oh, you're a failure, you're a failure, you're a failure, the faith that I've taught you, Timothy, is so bold, it's so strong, it's so rooted in the identity of Christ that you're not concerned with your earthly success because your earthly success doesn't define you. When people look at your business or they look at your career, they look at your job or they look at your degree and they try to define you by this stuff in this life that's all kinds of VUCA, you know that you can't be controlled by that or defined by that. I've taught you this. I've modeled this to you. My faith that I'm passing on to you is, is, is creating within you the strength to move past this stuff. See, in congruency... Uh, between what I say and what I do, between my expectations and my experience, between my need for approval and my surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Those things have been settled in Paul, and so now he can model it to Timothy and let it be settled in Timothy. So what did he tell him in chapter 2? So that Timothy can then raise up others in whom it is settled. It is... In immaturity that our faith is reduced. Remember chapter 2. It's in, it's in immaturity that our faith is reduced to pseudo-intellectual, our fake spiritual endless arguments that distract people from Jesus. Remember we learned this together. Paul said, Timothy, Timothy, don't be distracted by pseudo-intellectualism. Don't, don't be distracted by false spirituality. Don't See, it's a mature person who knows that you can't be distracted. Just keep preaching Jesus. Just keep focused on Jesus. Just keep bringing people back to Jesus. Endless myths and endless theologies and all of this stuff. It's not going to save anybody. What's going to save people, Timothy, is Jesus. Sometimes you're going to add up all the numbers and you're still going to be broke at the end of the month. And you did this number and you did this way and you prayed this prayer and you anointed your wallet and you're still broke, Timothy. At the end of it, Jesus is still Jesus. Timothy, we're not, we're not chasing these things. We're not running after the. It doesn't matter who's elected. It doesn't matter. Jesus is still king. Well, this half, half the house is with me. Let me say it over here. It, it doesn't matter who's elected, Timothy. Jesus is still king. Kingdoms come and they go. Jesus is still on the throne, Timothy. So I don't have to be, you don't have to be caught, you don't have to be caught up in that stuff. Mature people, Timothy, they know. See, the mature Christ followers, intellect, emotions, and faith are unthreatened. So if you haven't been here, that's what we've been learning together. I can go and I can grow and I can mature and so can you because my intellect, my emotions, and my faith are unthreatened as a follower of Jesus Christ. When my hope is built on Jesus Christ and nothing less... No matter what happens, it can't be shaken. 
when my hope is built on some other rock, when my hope is built on some other foundation, it can be threatened. But when my hope is built on Christ, Timothy, this faith that I'm passing on to you, it sustains itself. So let's finish up 2 Timothy today. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Paul says to Timothy, summing up all these thoughts, Timothy, I, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. He started that way. He's going to finish that way. Mercy, grace, peace from God and Christ Jesus. He started that way. He's finishing that way. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete, everyone say the word complete, with complete patience, with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Everyone say passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. These are the final instructions to Timothy that really sum up the heart and the spirit in which Paul wrote this letter. Specifically, he's saying to Timothy concerning his life and his ministry, Timothy, there are some things that he wouldn't have used the term, we use the term, there's some things in this VUCA world that you just, you just have to know. And um, I just want to go through a few of them very quickly. Timothy, my dear son, when your world, when my world is volatile, I am not shaken because I know on whose foundation my life is built. He says, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead. Timothy, I... I know upon whom uh, my, my foundation is built. If you're arguing from a place of human intellect, if you're arguing from a place of a kingdom that, that has a beginning, it will have an end. But if you're arguing from a place of a kingdom that has no beginning and has no end, you've already won the argument, so there's no need to argue. If you understand that the foundation upon which your life is built is unshakable, it has no beginning and has no end, then you understand that there's nothing that can destroy you. Well, well, well Pastor, what if, I, what if I get this disease and I die? Well, we got an answer for that. 
Because your last breath in this life is just your passing into the life to come. So what if disease gets me? It can't get you, baby. Honey, it, it can't get you. Well, what if it kills me? It can't kill you. When you... Some of us are afraid because we haven't settled who we are. You, Pastor, inflation, it's empty in my bank account. What if I don't eat? Look, I, my heart breaks with you. I'm, there's no way. I'm never going to minimize that. But I'm telling you, friend, eat your last meal and die. There's, some, there's a feast on the other side. It doesn't change anything about the goodness of God. Well, that's easy for you to say. Well, maybe it is easy for me to say. But whether it's easy for me to say or hard for me to say, it's still truth. And when that is settled for me, no matter what I face, no matter what I face, I can keep going. And the reason why, why Paul could face execution and not quit is because he understood the foundation upon which his life was built. And, and listen, here's the great thing about uh, the, the mindset of the Apostle Paul is we have all these letters that he wrote. We can understand this is a guy who at one time had much. He had everything to offer. There's nobody in this room who had greater career opportunity than Paul did and who gave it up to follow Jesus. He gave up everything, everything. And lost everything. I would love, I, I hate when, when people read the Bible through the lens of all these hundreds of years later and don't understand the stress and the pressure. And that he had not triumphed. He had not won the race. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't in the lap of luxury. He was in jail. His life was under threat. And he said, listen, Timothy, it's all good. It's all good because the authority that everything we're doing is based upon is greater than our circumstance. So when my world is volatile, I'm not shaken because I know the foundation upon which my... This stuff is simple. Secondly, when, when things appear uncertain to others, I will speak with clarity and truth that is transcendent of my circumstances. Paul says, Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For time is coming when, when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. When things appear uncertain to others, I will speak with clarity and truth that is transcendent of my circumstances. When you know the authority from which you speak, you can speak, you can speak with clarity and you can be ready to speak no matter what the circumstance and situation is. Have you ever been caught off guard? Have you ever, you ever been caught off guard before? Somebody come up to you, they ask you a question or they say something to you and it surprises you and you're like, I don't know how to... I don't know how to react. I don't know how to respond in this situation. Can you imagine being at a place? Paul has, has literally argued the gospel all over the known world at his time. He had argued the gospel with all kinds of intellectuals and all kinds of people. And he says to Timothy, really, Timothy, it's simple. Just preach the word. 
just preach the word and, and, and do it with certainty. We live in a world where if you are certain of anything and it's not the agreed upon thing, then what happens to you? You get canceled. If you're going to speak with certainty, it better be what everybody else is clicking like on because otherwise you're going to get canceled, right? And this week we all are on this agenda and next week we're on this agenda and next month we'll be on this agenda, right? And that's the only thing anybody is certain about. Certainty is, oh, why is certainty such a problem? Why is certainty such a problem for people? And why is it that the things that seem so simple are the things that all of a sudden are so complex? Paul says, Timothy, preach the word. So maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, but Pastor Randy, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a, a pastor like Timothy was. I'm not the leader of the church at Ephesus. How does, this, how does this apply to me? Well, it applies to both you and I in the sense that, friend, even when even when things are uncertain in our world, as followers of Jesus Christ, we can have clarity. And that clarity is rooted in the truth of the gospel. If you're going to be certain about something, be certain about the gospel. People ask me questions all the time, and well, what do you think about this, and what do you believe about this? There's a lot that I don't know, and the older I get and the further I get on my journey, the more readily I admit the things that I don't know, but this I do know. I know that Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, came from heaven to earth, and he gave his life for your sin and my sin. He looked at you, and he looked at me, and he said, they're hopeless, and they're helpless without me. I will sacrifice myself on their behalf and he shed his blood for you and he shed his blood for me and his blood covers all of my sins no matter how bad no matter how wicked no matter how terrible whether anybody knows about them or not he shed his blood for those things and his blood has covered my sin and when I respond to that gift he gives me new life and nothing can take it from me not even my brokenness, not even my sin. That's how powerful his sacrifice is. So that's what I'm going to be certain about. I'm, there's a lot I'm not certain about. I'm not, and, and you know what? If I'm going to fight for something, Timothy, if you're going to preach something, preach the gospel. Timothy, if you're going to stake your life, Timothy, I'm at the end of my life. I'm about to give my life for something. I know that I have broken a lot of relationships. There are a lot of people who have abandoned me in jail. Timothy, if I'm going to lose relationship, let me lose relationship for the gospel. Man, that is so... You're about to go to Christmas, and you're going to be sitting around the table, and people are going to be arguing about something. If you're going to lose relationship, lose relationship over the gospel. Lose relationship over the gospel, not which sports team should have won what. Not whether or not the royal family should have done this for Queen Elizabeth's funeral or that. Dare I even say, not even all over which political party does what. I, I just don't think it's worth, I, I just don't think it's worth the loss of effectiveness or the spent use of my life for something about a kingdom that will pass away. 
If you're going to be effective in a VUCA world, be certain of the gospel. Stake your life on the gospel. Preach the gospel. And oh, by the way, Timothy, be ready. Be ready in season and out of season, not just on Sunday, but every day. Be ready to answer with the gospel. Be able to answer with hope. Be able to speak life into every circumstance and every situation. Whether the right meal was cooked for, for Christmas or not, be ready. Whether you got the present you wanted or not, be ready. Whether or not your boss gave you the bonus you were supposed to get or not, be ready. Be clear, be certain about the gospel. Stake your life on the gospel. The sale didn't go through, Pastor. You just don't understand how bad this hurts me. No, no, friend. I do not understand, but I do know this. Be ready with the gospel. You don't understand how hard it is in my marriage right now. No, I don't, I'm not in your marriage. I don't know how difficult it is in your marriage. But I know, I know, I know if you're going to have sleepless nights, if you're going to be uncomfortable, if it's going to be hard, let it be hard for the sake of the gospel. Not something else because nothing else is worth spending your life on. Third thing. I want you to see is Paul saying to Timothy, listen, I, I'm not going to be distracted by, by the complexity of arguments that serve to scratch the ear of the human condition's need to alleviate the pain of our sin nature. I know that's a big statement. I know that's a big statement, but we got to hear it. It's been throughout the theme of the book all along because there's these people who are, who are pulling, who are wanting to pull the church at that time in multiple different directions of false teaching. And Paul is saying to, he's trying to steady the ship with Timothy and others of leadership in the church and pull them away from being sucked into this false teaching and giving them the ability to stand against this false teaching. And he says, listen, Timothy, you can't, you can't be distracted. You just, you just, you just preach the gospel. And you do so, you do so, you re, you reprove, you rebuke, you exhort with complete patience and teaching for a time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. But he gives us a hint. I love how he does this. He gives us a hint of what specific sound doctrine uh, that is at threat. And he says, in particular, people have itching ears and they will accumulate for themselves teachers. Now listen, when scripture uses the word teacher, you got to understand that it's not used lightly. These are people who have qualifications. These are people who would be looked to as experts. These are people who people would look to and say, oh, they're the ones we should be listening to. So the people will accumulate for themselves teachers, and the teachers are teaching them things that suit their own passions. What is their passion? What is the same passion that all of us have? It's our sin nature. So the temptation, the difficulty is that there are people who will design, manipulate, distort Scripture to make it all about stroking the sin nature of man will make the gospel man-centered instead of Jesus-centered. Will make the Scripture all about God serving our needs rather than us being transformed into the image of God through the work of Jesus Christ. That's what's at threat. And you may say, oh, well, that was terrible for Timothy, but guess what? It's been the same ever since then. The church has always been under threat of this exact same 
this exact same problem because God's people have always continued in this same pattern of sin. We ultimately want to be God ourselves. We want it to be all about us. Now, some of you in this room know, Pastor, I'm so humble. I never want it to be about me. I just want to be in the background. I just want to serve. Listen, every one of us in this room have a sin nature, and every one of us in this room have this broken thing inside of us that craves that needs that attention, that needs that affirmation, whether it expresses itself by being up on a stage and being woo loud or whether it expresses itself by being in the back of the room and quiet. We all want, we all need, we all desire ultimately for that affirmation, for that hole in our broken place in our sin nature to be filled. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can go down the road of rewriting the gospel so that it's all about us Instead of being about him. And Timothy's threat, which is the threat that, that we all face, is that we reinterpret Christianity to make it about us. The, the, the threat for somebody who's a pastor like me is we pray and we plan about, we plan next year's preaching calendar. Is that I fill up next year's preaching calendar to do sermon series that will get you excited and get you to come to church because you feel like, oh, if I hear that, that's going to help me. It's going to help me to be the better version of me. Help me to achieve my dreams and my hopes and my fears. Listen, I know how to grow a church. If I just do all that kind of stuff, people will flock. We advertise it. We put out signs in Facebook, everywhere. People will come because we all want what makes us better, right? None of you. You guys are too spiritual. But all this other people. It's the people who aren't here today. We take the gospel and we twist it and we make it about us. Paul said, Timothy, there's going to be people who have such itching ears that they reinterpret the gospel. They reinterpret it to make it about them. And Timothy, listen, no matter how complex the argument is, no matter how complex the argument is, Timothy, Timothy, it's got to be plain. It's got to be clear. It's got to be simple. We don't need to alleviate the pain of our sin nature. We need to allow the blood of Jesus to cleanse us of our sin nature. We say, Pastor, I don't, I, don't understand what you, I don't understand what you're saying this morning. I'll give you an example. I'll give you a window into where we're going next year. We're going to do a sermon series on sexuality next year. We're going to do a sermon series on biblical sexuality. And when we do a sermon series on biblical sexuality, I'm going to go ahead and tip my hat to you so you understand. When we do a sermon series on biblical sexuality, that sermon series is not going to be built around alleviating the pain so that we feel comfortable in our sin nature. Statistics tell us that over 50%, over 50% of people in the church regularly use pornography. We're not going to preach a sermon series on biblical sexuality and just ignore that. We're not going to preach a sermon series on biblical sexuality and just act like that's no big deal. We're not going to preach a sermon series on biblical sexuality and only talk about people who have other sexual appetites than those of us with a heterosexual sexual appetite that is broken and distorted. Are you with me now? Are we going to talk about the other stuff? Absolutely, we're going to talk about it. When we talk about it, we're going to unpack it from a biblical perspective, not just what makes me feel good. 
Not what just helps me to feel better about my brokenness, but instead talk about what God's design for us is and how he created us and how his good for us is better than my desire for pleasure. That there's nothing holy about my desire for pleasure when my desire for pleasure is distorted by my sin nature. See, here's the thing. No matter how complex the situation is, I as your pastor and we as Christians can't ignore it. Well, pastor, if we talk about that, aren't we going to upset some people? Yes. But if we don't talk about it, where do we leave people? We leave people with all of these other entities speaking relief, 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 relief into our soul. Some of us, some of us have never, have never built a theology with our children around sexuality. And so our children's theology around sexuality is being filled by television and music and our neighbors and their friends and their cousins. And we as the church have a responsibility. It's complex, Pastor. It's hard. Yes, it's complex. There's all kinds of arguments and perspectives. Yes, there is, but there's also biblical clarity. And we have to speak that biblical clarity. Ambiguity will not hollow out my soul, luring me into the escape of pursuing numbness as a state of being. That's what happens. In a VUCA world where things are ambiguous, what do I do? I just escape it. And here's the thing, friend, as Christians, if we're not careful, our Christianity can just become another form of escapism. It can become another way of numbing our soul just so we can get through the week. Oh, I can't wait to get to church on Sunday so I can get my little bit of Jesus so that I can get through the week. That's not the gospel. My little bit of Jesus that helps me handle the pain of a dysfunctional marriage or my little bit of Jesus that helps me to deal with a a highly complex, difficult situation at work that numbs me enough so that I can make it through the week becomes nothing more than just like I would find at the bottom of a bottle. If it's not transforming me and changing me and sending me out with the capacity to engage, all it's done is numbing me from my pain. And for many of us, that's what our Christianity has become, just another way of numbing ourselves. I said it a few months ago, I'm struck by how much our world is built around us moving from numbing experience to numbing experience. Heaven forbid you feel anything. Heaven forbid that you deal with conflict. Heaven forbid that you feel pain. Our world is being more and more and more designed in such a way that we are being programmed to believe that any kind of confrontation with anything that makes us uncomfortable is not good and therefore should be avoided. And yet we all know that there's, it's impossible to have healthy relationships without conflict. It's impossible To know the God who brings you out of Egypt unless you've been through Egypt. It's shallow, immature, weak Christianity that is built around 
joining in the chorus of just numbing our lives. Teaching us Bible verses that are taken out of context so we have just another slogan that we can shout whenever we're facing something that's difficult. That doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even apply to our circumstance. But we say it over and over again just like we would say a mantra from a guru somewhere. And then when it doesn't work and we have an existential crisis, we get mad at God, blame him, blame the church. It's nonsense. Paul says, Timothy, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to, to preach the word. People are going to be itching ears and they're going to, they, they want stuff that'll, that strokes their ego and their passions, but they're going to they're gonna turn away and they're, listen, here's what they're going to do. They're going to follow after myths, anything that is mysterious, anything that certainly has some form of legalism where if I pull this lever, then God does this, or if I follow this thing, then it got, any kind of myth that you can conjure up that puts us back into the position of being God and having power, people are going to chase after that stuff because they don't, they don't want to just trust God. And, and here's the thing, Timothy, as people wander off into myths, here's, here's what I want for you. Always be sober-minded. What if, your, what if your faith wasn't built around escapism? What if your faith was built on sober-mindedness in spite of the VUCA? What if you were the one who was able to stay sober-minded when things got turned upside down at work? What if you were the one who was capable of not losing your temper? What if you, what if you were the one who was able to keep, keep control? Who didn't, who didn't need to escape to the bottom of a bottle every Friday because the work week was so hard? What, what, if you were, what if you were the dad who didn't need to come home at night and turn on the TV and veg out, but could engage your son and daughter, speak into their life? What, what would it look like? What would it look like? What would sober-mindedness look like? When, um, when load shedding goes to level six. What, what would it look like if I, I were the one who wasn't losing my mind? When traffic is bad, when, are you with me? What if, what if I'm, I'm the one whose faith wasn't built around numbing my existence? What if, what if my faith was raw and real and truthful and capable of dealing with ambiguity and capable of dealing with nuance? What if my faith didn't need to escape all the voices that 
don't agree with me. And I, I was capable of engaging them in a way that brought life and light into the situation and showed love and mercy and grace and peace. And I didn't need to run away. And what would it, what would it look like in that VUCA world? What would the gospel's impact in the city of Durban look like? Paul says, Timothy, as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Don't escape it. Don't run from it. Don't avoid it. Don't act like it doesn't exist. Don't allow it to question your faith. Endure it. Woo. Boy, that's going to sell a lot of books. That's going to fill this building up. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Here's the thing. I will feel even when it's uncomfortable. I will still say engaged. I will feel the feels. When it hurts my feelings, when it's challenging, when it's hard, when it's complicated, when I don't have the answer to all the questions, I'm still going to do the work of the evangelist. Oh, pastor, I don't have the spiritual gift of an evangelist. Please, please stop allowing these games to rob you from understanding that every follower of Jesus Christ makes disciples. Please stop allowing these fake labels that we've come up with to excuse some of us from being like Jesus, to prevent us from being like Jesus. We all make disciples. Timothy, whether your personality is like it or not, do the work of an evangelist. Share the gospel. Most likely, Timothy did not have the personality that would fit the personality profile that all of us would call an evangelist. But Paul said to Timothy, because we all make disciples, do the work of an evangelist. Even in a VUCA world, be solid. Preach the gospel. Feel. Be present. That's what he's meaning. Be present and available with the gospel, even when it's uncomfortable. Stay engaged even when it doesn't make sense. Do the work of an evangelist, Timothy. Fulfill your ministry. Yes, every one of us in this room, we have a design. We've been created in such a way. You have a ministry. You have a design. God created you. But the purpose of all of it is so that every one of us as followers of Jesus understand that we have been designed and we have been created to flourish in a VUCA world, not to run and hide, but to keep feeling, to stay engaged, 